Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So today we're going to be in Acts 20. So if you have your Bibles, Acts 20. And uh, we just survived the riot of Acts 19. Um, if you recall, and I really like it the way it is in the chosen, you know, where they would, that there would be even any gathering in a, in a, in a home, and you had to be really careful because those Roman uh, guards would uh, uh, arrest you or anything. So they survived the riot of Ephesus, even though the the mayor had said, you know, you guys gotta dial it down because uh, we don't want there to be an incident here. We want no connection with Rome as much as possible. So um, starting with verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had encouraged them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. Verse 2. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. That word encouragement there is not just kind of like warm fuzzies, like you did a good job and all that kind of stuff, but it was it was a call to and a call for to exhort them, to uh, encourage them to stand in, in all that the Lord was giving to them. So it wasn't just a little, you know, warm fuzzy kind of thing, but it was really exhorting them strongly to walk in the ways that they should. Uh, verse 3, and there he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Verse 4, and he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Paris, and by Aristarchus and Sagundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. Um, don't you love those words? You got to bless the mothers who named their child those horrible words. We learned something in our uh, women's Bible study, uh, Gospel on the Ground, that was really cool. And it's shown right here in verse 4 because this uh, Segundus guy, uh, he would have been a slave, but he wasn't a slave to Aristarchus. They were fellow Christians coming together to Thessalonica. And uh, we learned in our women's Bible study that the, the very culture of those that were believers that were in, found in the way, that they had this distinction among the community that was like, like who would have thought they would do that, is that rich people and poor people and everyone in between ate together. This was something that stood out very much to that community and was a, a great sign to them, as well as the other thing that was mentioned was that um, a lot of times in that day, if a woman had a baby and the baby was female, the husband could say, put the baby out and either just let the baby die or put him in the trash heap or something like that. And the second thing, that Christians were known for. They were known for this in the community because this was so outrageously wrong to that Roman community and, and the people uh, groups at that time 
is that they would go and they would grab those uh, girls, those babies, and they would raise them as their own. They would not have to be either dead or orphaned. They actually became a part of the family. And then they also got to learn the ways of the Lord. And so this was two things that really were stark different in the community. So we see that here. And uh, uh, the lady in the Bible study had also brought up something that every time she says about Optimum or Prime, I always think of that movie, you know, the Transformers and stuff. Um, but anyway, this, uh, the first slave, like the head slave, was, was like Optimus or whatever. But Segundus, what do you think Segundus was? It's right, kind of, you can see it in there if you look at it. Who do you think? If he wasn't the prime slave, what do you think he was? The second slave, yes. So he was, in his occupation, he was the second in charge slave. But these two were traveling together, um, illustrating the gospel on the ground. Knows no uh, rich or poor, but we're all in Christ. And that was really um, cool to learn that. Because I never would have thought about it. I would have just read it and said, oh, okay, that's right. They just have weird names. But um, it was really something. This was a testimony, and this was a witness to that community at the time. Verse 5, now these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and reached them at Troas within five days, and we stayed there for seven. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. <laughs> Could you imagine that in this day and age? I don't think anybody would last past two hours, but anyway, he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we gathered together, and uh, I was just kind oh. of curious because, you know, he calls us the light of the world and all. And so I was looking at the word lamps to see if it really was lamps. Well, it was torches. So they had sufficient torches to, to handle all, all this all through the evening. But somehow that torches thing just, it's like, isn't this like an accident waiting to happen? But then we see there is going to be an ac accident of sorts. Into verse 9. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the window, so sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, Eutychus was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor. How did they do that, third floor? And was picked up as dead. Uh, <coughs> um, ironically, Eutychus' names means well-fated. So he was. Uh, this was a good one for Mr. Well-Fated. Um, and you also see this in John 11, 38 through 44. Verse 10, but Paul went down, the three flights of stairs or whatever it was, and fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, do not be troubled, for he is still alive. And that troubled is like terrified, struck with panic. See, that would be me. It would be like, dial it down, Fran. Don't be terrified. Don't strike with panic. Don't be disturbed greatly. He is still alive, you know, and just like, yeah, yeah, okay. So verse 11, when Paul had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. 
They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. Gotta love that, huh? Verse 13. But we went ahead to the ship and set sail for Asus, intending from there to take Paul on board. For that is what he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. Verse 14. And when he had met us at Asus, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Now, the Asus is a west coast of Asia Minor, so it's a coastal city. And then sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, which is an island on the Aegean Sea. And the next day, we crossed over to Samos, which is another island. And on the following day, we came to Miletus, that's southwest Asia. So verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to lose time in Asia. For he was hurrying, if it might be possible for him, to be in Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. So now he's uh, gathering the elders, verse 17. From Miletus he sent word to the Ephesus and called to himself the elders of the church. Verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. And here we, we see Paul as being the consistent one. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he could live steadily while moving among them. Whether he was in large groups or if he was one-on-one, -on -one, he was able to be consistent. So we see that here. How I was with you the whole time. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was public, that, I'm sorry, declaring to you anything that was beneficial and teaching you publicly and from house to house. So Paul was also contrite. He acted humbly and he willing showed his weaknesses. He was also courageous. He did not shrink back from doing the right thing. Lord, help us to not shrink back from doing the right thing when it's brought to our attention. Verse 21, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, Paul was a man of convictions, and we all know that he was a tough guy before he was Paul. He was Saul. He was killing Christians and thought he was doing God a favor. And so now he's communicating equally as boldly his convictions regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he doesn't back down from that, even as he's getting ready to leave very shortly. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that chains and afflictions await me. In, in those two scriptures, both 22 and 23, the one I just read, we can see also that Paul was committed. He was willing to die. He, it wasn't affecting him in any way. He was proud of it, I'm sure he was, because he was proud of what the Lord had done within his heart and for his people. Verse 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly 
of the gospel of God's grace. In verse 24, we see that Paul was captivated. He showed that a surrendered man doesn't have to just survive, but he can thrive. This is an encouragement to me. Sometimes I think that we, including myself, sometimes we'll either take the path of least, least resistance or we just like want to power on through. We want to just survive it, but we don't actually want to thrive it. And here, at least this is an encouragement to myself that we should not, or I should not, just be surrendered to the Lord just so that I can survive, but actually so that I can thrive as well. Verse 25 says, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all people. I thought this, uh, this saying was interesting in that in our culture, we don't necessarily understand that. In their culture, the blood was the life. And so what he was saying, I'm innocent of, of the lives. I've represented the Lord. I've talked um, to them about the Lord. I've spoken whatever the Lord said. So I'm, I'm innocent. I won't, I, I won't in the time of judgment. Um, that won't come against me. It also reminds me of Ezekiel 33.6, the watchman. Um, as the prophet was called in this chapter, and I'd like to just uh, read a few scriptures here in uh, Ezekiel 33. It says, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I re will require at the watchman's hand. So if you read through this whole entire uh, chapter of 33 through verse 11, it talks about the watchman and his responsibility, that if we know to warn and we don't warn, um, we'll, we'll see that judgment. And he, what Paul was saying in this was that I'm innocent. I'm innocent. And then it also reminded me somewhat of in Matthew 27, when I was uh, thinking about Pilate, what did Pilate say? He said, I'm innocent of the blood. And so it's like we see this theme kind of repeating, stuck out to me anyway. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock which among the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, remember, he's speaking to the elders. All right. So he says, guard the flock, oversee the flock, shepherd the flock. And that shrink means to do not shun, do not draw back and do not let down. It's a heavy exhortation to to the elders and leaders. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will rise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. This uh, savage wolves thing carries with it like 
it would be a heavy thing. It would be like a burden, a heavy burden that would come upon them at this time, not sparing the flock. And then um, speaking perverse things means to either to distort, like figuratively to misinterpret or morally to be corrupt or perverse. It also can mean to turn away. So that they would come either from outside like wolves or from within wanting to attract disciples unto themselves. Um, and they would distort and they would turn away. Because the whole idea of any person that is um, a rabbi or a leader should be to be able to turn people, ourselves, to turn us to look at the Lord. Not to look to the right or the left, but to look to the Lord, to depend on the Lord. So he was warning them. And on to verse 39, he says, Therefore, be on the alert remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears, to be alert, to be awake, to be watching. We hear a lot about that today. Be awake, be watching. Verse 32, And now I entrust you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver, or gold, or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands served my own needs and the men who were with me. And as you remember, Paul could have received uh, offerings from them, but he chose not to. He chose not only to not receive income, but he took care of all the ones that stayed with him too in his business. Verse 35, in everything I showed you, that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that giving is both in a literal and it's in a figurative way. I, I was reminded in this verse 35, I didn't remember reading this part of this, that in everything I showed you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord. I didn't remember that must help the weak. And so I know that by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you in whatever uh, means necessary and however in your heart to whatever you need. And maybe he'll speak to you something that you'll even swear that I spoke that I didn't because that's how the Holy Spirit is. He will just speak to us and we'll just We'll just swear that it, that we heard it, but he's he's speaking to our hearts, and um, and I'm reminded to help the weak. And Lord, what would that look like? What would that what would that actually look like in this community, in this day, in the place that I find myself? You know, Monday through Friday, as a bookkeeper, what what does that look like? What does that look like? Remember the weak, help the weak. So. I've been challenged on that. Perhaps you've been challenged in something else as well. <clears throat> Verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And they all began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him. Verse 38. Grieving, especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. 
And like I've said before, but I think it still bears repeating, it's very interesting to me that by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, as one of his main words um, or titles would be comforter, it's still amazing to me that the Lord shares in the word a people seriously grieving, seriously weeping out loud, seriously embracing and kissing and leaning against their neck, you know, um, it, it shows to me that the Lord is caring about what we feel, even though we tend to, in our Western world, think everything's about the written word or the spoken word, but the Holy Spirit, as comforter, wants to be able to comfort us when we are in grief and know that he he feels what we're feeling and he can identify with that. And we know the scriptures bear that out. So he was consistent, he was contrite, he was courageous, Paul was. He was committed, captivated, and he had convictions. That's the summary that I get out of this Acts 20 and what the Holy Spirit was working in Paul and that he was working in him a boldness that they were able to um, together, Paul and the Holy Spirit and the elders, they were able to deliver what was supposed to be delivered. So I don't know about you, but is there anything that as we're, we were going through Acts 20 that the Lord put upon your heart that you would want to share? Father God, I just thank you, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, God, that it doesn't take talking till midnight and having somebody fall out of a three-floor <clears throat> building to have your Spirit deal with us and have your very Spirit uh, move and motivate us. You have your very Spirit to think through us. Lord, that you can speak life-changing words like you did for me once that happened inside of five minutes because I only had five minutes before I would be able to go and speak to a friend that was dying who depended on a prayer to save her and she was saved, Lord. So Lord, whether it's five minutes or whether it's speaking till midnight, Father God, I pray by your precious Holy Spirit that you would move upon us we do want more of you like the songs we're speaking about today, Lord. We, we desire, we desire to be moved and motivated by you. We desire to help the weak. We desire to give both literally and figuratively, Lord. Father God, I just pray that you would not allow us to stay the way that we are, Lord. We're so comfortable in this Western world. And yet, Lord... Your call to us is anything but comfortable. And so, Father God, I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus that, that and thank you that you will continually conform us to your life purposes for us.
and for us as a body of Christ, Lord, and that we can rest in that and we can be secure in that, Lord. And if anyone would have a tendency to fear, Lord, I pray that they would be overcome by the power of your love because your perfect love casts out fear and torment in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.